Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. Today, we have an awesome guest. His name is John McCluskey. He is the Senior Director of Operations and General Manager of Flume's Third-Party Administration Services. In this episode, we talk about how do we build a better healthcare plan, what Flume looks for in digital health startups when partnering with them, how do we fight fragmentation in our current healthcare system, and what he sees as the future of direct primary care. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Hi, everyone. I got an awesome guest here, one of my friends, uh, John. Hey, John, how are you doing? I'm good, Zane. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for asking. Uh, for those who don't know who you are, would you mind giving us a little background about uh, yourself? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so John McCluskey, I've spent the better part of a, a decade or even more than that. I haven't even counted all the years um, specifically focusing in on healthcare. Um, some areas that I've, I've focused on is uh, digital health, so digital solutions, and just um, the evolution over the last you know pl- ten plus years of where where I've seen technology be integrated into to healthcare, and, and it's really become a passion area for me to to move forward. Awesome, yeah, no. Um, so right now you're currently working for Flume, right? Yep, I'm working for Flume Health. Yeah, so a little bit about Flume Health uh, specifically. So um, Flume Health was founded um, around 2018, and really the the focus there was the, the the original kind of focus was, and it's still there, is that there's two kind of systems that work right. So when people are seeking healthcare, they're looking to looking for the right healthcare, and then there's the payer side, right? So um, what often happens is you go and a loved one needs care, or you need care, you get that care, and then after the fact, you get bills and, you know, that, that other administrative part comes along. And so um, it was through personal experience of the, of the founder, Cedric Coex Johnson, where he had a loved one who he experienced that and really just rolled up his sleeves to say, hey, I think healthcare can be different and let's, let's like really move forward with that. And then about a little over a year ago, uh, Flume built, built out what we, we call Flume OS. Um, so sort of uh, think of an operating system like a computer, right? Like there's a whole bunch of things you can do with a computer and different, you know, aspects of, of an operating system. And so our platform enables um, innovative groups to build new health plans and take a lot of their vision and, and really uh, bring it to life. And so the platform enables everything from back office stuff of paying claims, answering phones, uh, building in those um, digital solutions that are meaningful. If your focus is on mental health or telemedicine, you know, there's a lot of different innovative strategies around how to bring that better, but it's still all centered around the member and how we actually can drive down costs in healthcare while providing really high quality services and steerage to the right solution at the right time. No, that's, that's awesome. That's interesting. So what kind of clientele does Flume serve primarily? Yeah. So it's evolved, you know, as a startup, we really just wanted to find in the early days, you know, organizations that were kind of tired of the status quo and said, Hey, let's go along on this journey. And so what we found was oftentimes there were startups that would be interested uh, there's been a lot of interest across the market, right, as, as this has opened up new doors for people, everybody from direct primary care organizations who thought that, you know, working siloed in existing health systems wanted to tr- try to build on what they did really well. Uh, we've just seen health systems who uh, are seeing how their own services can be built into uh, innovative health plans. And so, um it's it's really transformed, um, but mostly because the the technology enables and is very flexible and agile to allow different types of organizations come in and build health plans, and we're just really thrilled to be um, having those conversations, helping them 
uh, bring it to reality. And, you know, in a lot of cases, they're de novo plans because they haven't existed in the past. And we've been able to, um, you know, use technology to solve problems that existingly were much harder to to um, overcome, you know, APIs and other modern ways of, of doing things. And so uh, it, our tech, our, our client is growing and we've had phenomenal growth and it's all because of not only the technology, but the vision and the team that we've um, built out. That's awesome. And I think that I want to highlight something that you said that it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, like if I'm a, if I'm an organization and I want something specific, but I don't need this. It's kind of like a la carte, right? Like you can, it sounds like you, you, you have all these, you know, it's like going to a grocery store. Like you have a, you have a final product that you need to make at home and dinner and you need specific ingredients. You don't need all the ingredients. You need some of them. And is, is that kind of, am I, am I kind of getting that right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, in a, in a, in a pretty fairly standard health plan, there's anywhere from 12 to 14 different, solutions, vendors, partners that you need to make that whole health plan operate and work. And so what we've done is built that out where you can actually go through and, and talk about strategies and who you would want to use and really done it in a way that's very scalable. So you can not only just build out your health plan, but things change over time, right? So you might see that you need an MSK solution or you might see that you know some of your population could benefit from some additional mental health services or in certain demographics, you know, if they're more rural, you might need to add a maternity solution where there's a, a, a maternity desert, right? So it enables you to really react very quickly, uh, both through data-driven informed um, mechanisms and then build those solutions and iterate on those. And, and so there's, there's a steady state that you want to get to, but then you can, it, it can evolve over time. So we believe, you know, where we're at with, with these new plat, uh, health plans that we built out, they'll change over time um, as the needs change. And it's really about that flexibility that, that the health plans have to drive that innovation forward. Yeah, I love that because anyone who's ever picked a health plan, there's a lot of things in there that sometimes you don't need. And, and it's not just you, right? It's the population that's your workers, right? Every, every area, every geographic area has needs specific things. Like you mentioned the rural, rural aspect of it. People that live in rural areas don't need the same thing that live in big cities. And if, you know, with like the whole remote environment and all that coming through, you know, like you have people all over the place and, you know, you're, it's kind of like, you're kind of paying for things that you don't need. And a lot, I, I, I would even say that a lot of people don't even know what's covered under their health plan because there's just so much thrown in there and that's and I, and you correct me if I'm wrong that kind of drives up prices right for the employer which then get passed on to the employee right yeah so there's a couple of key aspects to to that exactly what you're talking about one is you know I think many of us uh, can think of good examples where you know we've had to elect a, a health benefit and, and examples where it's been more frustrating but you're really being asked to make some financial decisions for yourself, for your loved ones, whoever is, um, you know, utilizing that health benefit with you. And right now it's kind of one size fits all, right? So you as an individual, if you're an individual, you really have pretty much the same options as you do if you're a family of five or anywhere in between, right? And so what you're doing is you're really basically saying, how much risk am I going to take on by, you know, whatever options I have, if it's a higher deductible or, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out and do the math. You know, if I maybe have an FSA account or an HSA account, maybe I can use more of that. And, and you're trying to strategize on what that looks like. And it's a very complex thing that we're asking a large portion of the United States to make those decisions every year. Right. And, and so it, it plays out differently. And so then when it comes to actually paying for the health plan, you know, there's, there's a couple of different arrangements that you typically see. One is a fully insured model where, you know, smaller employer groups, they're just going to do traditional like Blue Cross or somebody like that, right? And then as employers get larger, they might be comfortable with taking more risk on in, in, a, in a health plan. So they become self-insured. And, and there's two models we typically see around that. One is level funded where it behaves Similarly to a fully insured where your your cash outlay is pretty predictable over month over month, 
And then you have a self-funded where there's a little bit more variability in it. But ultimately, when an employer group decides to go um, self-insured, they, they're, they're taking on more risk. And there's, you know, mechanisms to mitigate that, such as stop-loss insurance or reinsurance. Uh, but underneath that, there are elements from the payer side that, that you have to look at, such as what are things that you're going to pre-cert? Uh, a very typical example would be an MRI for imaging or something like that, right? And the reason for that is if, if you've ever looked across uh, the cost of, a, of an MRI, it can vary significantly, right, depending on the location you go. So freestanding clinics tend to be lower cost driver than if you go to a health system. And it really depends on contracts, fee schedules, a, a lot of variables that go into that, right? And so it, to, to your original question, it's really about making the best decision on what type of health plan I can choose with the, the uh, member responsibility that I, I can tolerate. And then it's about getting that right steerage or quality of service. And so what are my options? And right now, you know, many folks will have to go to a portal and a lookup and figure out who the doctor is, who can they see, who's in network, who would be out of network. It gets very complex for many of us who that's not really our main focus, right, to try to navigate this healthcare system. And so we're trying to build more technology to enable informed real-time decisions, right, so that it's really a good member experience because that drives down cost when you're actually informed. And it's still about empowering people to say, hey, I might want to stick with my existing doctor. That's okay. You can do that. But it's also helpful and meaningful when you actually can see other decisions that you might be able to make based on the information you have available to you. Yeah, no. Um, I think that choosing a health plan is such a pivotal, pivotal thing that comes at the end of the year. And I think a lot of people don't put that much thought into it, me included. I'll be honest with that. A lot of it, because it's just so much information overload, like you don't, like, you know, like you said, if your company is changing plans, then you have to figure out the PCP that you've been seeing for the past five, 10 years, are they covered? And then majority of the times the portal is not very, let's just put it kindly, user-friendly, let's just say that. <laughs> and you're trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Um, I don't think most people know what an FSA and HSA are. There's no real um, education that's provided. You're just given these plans and you're told to kind of figure it out on your own. I mean, half the, I think, I mean, when I talk to people, most people don't even know what coinsurance and deductibles are, like what the difference is between those two things. And it's just baffles my mind that something so big, such a decision that big is just kind of, you have two weeks to figure it out, you know, like that's always, I mean, I don't know if this is really like tying into what you're saying, but like, I mean, it's kind of tying into the sense of like you were talking about, usability and education of your clients and things like that. And, um, and that I think a lot of times when people know what they, what their insurance is covering or when they know what these things mean, they're more likely to use insurance because sometimes they don't even know if something's covered or not. Yeah. And I think you've probably seen, um, you know, their, their SBCs, the summary of benefits and coverage. They're those, one pages that the government mandated that we all get as part of that process, right? And they're helpful. They're not pretty looking. They are helpful, but they don't tell the whole picture, right? It, unless you dig deep into knowing specifically your healthcare, oftentimes members don't know that the specific provider that they were seeing is still in network if their health benefit changes. So, you know, a, a really key player in this is, is, is networks. And when I say a network, you know, we, we've heard of like the Cygnas, the Aetnas, the, you know, the big networks of the world, right? And when you have changes, and, and that happens, right, because year over year premiums are going to go up. So your, your employer should be, if they're responsible about it, thinking about how do I manage cost, right? But how do I also still provide really good benefits? And that, I think, if anything, over the last few years um, after the pandemic, employer groups are really looking hard at benefits because people have said this is really really important to us and you can you can build on that right there's more innovative companies saying i'm going to do more with fertility right i'm going to do more with these other aspects that are really important and so 
when you're when you're speaking of benefits and what you're providing to your to your team members, it's really important to make sure you're doing a good job of managing that. And that's a full time job. And oftentimes you that comes down to your HR, your people team, who you're asking to make these very difficult decisions for a broad group of people. And I think they do a phenomenal job doing it, but it's still a challenge, right? And so I think that's where it, in this process of innovation that we're seeing, employer groups are are really excited about this because it's actually meaningful dollars, right? When you can when you can steer somebody towards a a program where they don't actually have to take any money out of their pocket and get a high cost drug for for you know zero to almost no cost, that's meaningful to your employee. And that and the health system can do that for you if done right. You know, there are many, many other examples where if you if you have really good programs in place to, to support some of these different aspects, it makes a big difference, right? If you have somebody who's advocating on a balanced bill, which, it, which it, a balanced bill is when somebody gets a bill that there's only a certain amount of it was paid by your, your insurance and you have this extra amount that you're being owed for. There are mechanisms where you can appeal that. There's mechanisms where you can negotiate lower rates. All of those things actually matter to the individual who's trying to, you know, put more in retirement if they even have a 401k or, you know, as as inflation has increased costs of, as an example, eggs, right? Um, every dollar matters. And I think that's the real key about driving a good health plan towards success. So how does uh, a company like Flume help with that? Yeah, a couple of ways. One one is right out of the gate in an implementation of building out a new health plan, having those really candid, direct, meaningful conversations about how you're actually going to drive and manage cost and drive utilization towards the programs that are the most meaningful. And those decisions are critical to how your health plan is going to perform. And so having that expertise in-house to really go through that in very detail is super impactful when you actually go out and start bringing employer groups on your health plan. And so lots of, lots of time is invested in looking at all of the partners that are going to play a role in that. So back to the the beginning of the hour when we talked about you know 12 to 14 different players in that in that whole ecosystem of the health plan we have been encouraged by the different respective partners being willing to come and have conversations and talk about how they're going to do their part which is actually going to help on the other side so an example of that could be having an engaged stop loss partner he says, you know what, you're doing a really good job with utilization management, the medical review part of it. We can we can see where through our underwriting we can lower a premium, right? Just having all of those players or the, the pharmacy benefit managers um, being very transparent and saying, hey, look, we believe because of the programs that we've built out, if it's a high-cost drug, we have solutions that can help tr- lower that cost. And so that each one of them is stepping up and saying, this is how I'm going to help. And then rolling that up to a meaningful program that is delivered to members. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Um, Yeah, there's so, I mean, the insurance world is so foreign to me and there's like so many things that I'm learning. I mean, talking to people like you, but it's good to hear that uh, you're able, like a company like yourself, like a startup like Flume is able to get so many people at the table and kind of fighting in the right direction. Cause I think that's one of the things that makes people in healthcare and just in general, uh, people around the country sad is that you don't see people working, you know, see all these entities kind of working together. So it's nice to hear from somebody who's actually in one of these companies doing this job saying that that's happening. Um, that's awesome to hear. But so do you guys partner with like digital health startups at all? And how, and if you do, how do you, how do, if I'm a digital health startup, right, and I'm approaching Flume, like, what are things that I need to have in check to be like a good partner? Like, what are you guys looking for, for a good partner with a digital health startup? Like different metrics 
or what it, but whatever yeah. it happens to be? Really good question. So the, the short answer is yes, we do. And there's, there's a couple of, a couple of key things that will get you in the door, right? In the early, early days of Flume, I think Flume was pursuing other startups to try to, you know, talk about partnerships with. And I think over time, as we, you know, raised a, a very significant Series A, and we've just seen significant growth. And what we found is, you know, there's other partners who have been uh, looking for us to partner. So that's been an interesting kind of 180, where we were sort of the the ones chasing, and now now we're being chased. Um, so it puts you in a different position to really think about your strategy. When whenever we're looking at the health performance of any employer group's health plan, there are, are different aspects that we look at, such as, you know, what are the top spend and in, in claims and, and other aspects of, you know, diagnosis codes, et cetera. And so a, a really perfect example, and you know this from my, my past life, you know, being in the musculoskeletal space, you know, building out, a, helping build out a digital health solution, there are real cost savings when it comes to driving and making available a digital solution where instead of somebody going to urgent care to get immediate treatment, such as, uh, you know, pain relievers, you know, 70, 80% can benefit from downloading an app and doing some stretches at home. Right. And so those are all meaningful things that have actual data behind them. And, and so what we've, what we've found is, you know, when we talk with employer groups, we can see those types of things coming up, right? Like, Oh, you're, your population could benefit from telemedicine or your population can benefit from an additional MSK solution because they're, they're seeing an increase in, in spend around that. Right. And so we oftentimes are approached by startups and the things that we really look for is one, what is your, what has kind of been your, your journey, your roadmap, right? Like from conception to where you're at. In pretty much most of the spaces you look at, you're going to find multiple options, right? Like, let's just stick with MSK. You know, Hinge has been around for a while. Sword's been around for a while versus newer ones um, such as ViewFi, right? So then you have to kind of pull that away and say, okay, what's your journey been? But underneath it, what's the value you're bringing, right? So how is your solution built? How are you solving that very specific problem? I think that's one of the things that these point solutions, digital point solutions do well is they solve a very specific problem. What we also look for is how are you, because you're so close to it, how are you helping facilitate solving other problems? So what do I mean by that? You know, many folks who have uh, low back pain or something like that might also could benefit from some, so, you know, they might have comorbidities, so they might have other solutions that might be helpful for them, right? So how are you connecting the dots to help sure, make sure, you know, they're getting additional mental health care if needed or, you know, other other treatments, right? So it's all about value and potentially how they're actually bringing that to the marketplace and do they have traction with the, the way that they're doing it. So when you when you actually break down the solutions and the problem, their strategies, and then, as we previously talked, it's about driving towards the cost savings and utilization, right? And quality of care. So, you know, those three components are really important in that process. So if we're, if we're going to build that into the process, we want to make sure that members are aware of it, they're utilizing it, that we're actually realizing real gains and that you've, you have the data to, and the value to back up the solution that you and the approach that you're using to, to solve that problem. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I mean, it makes sense when you say it, right. Um, is there like a specific, I, was, I don't want to say this properly. Is there like a specific stage that you're looking for a startup, like pre-seeds, series one, a series, a, B, C, or you're just looking for traction and if you can just show them like, Hey, this is going to be beneficial. You know what I mean, like, does that make sense? I guess. That question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think, you know, nobody wants to ever go first. That's, <laughs> that's even one of our, that's one of our, our challenges that our, our clients have when they build out a new health plan, right? Uh, nobody wants to be the first in line and try it. There's, there's the early adopters, right? Um, so you got to find those and then, you know, that everybody will kind of come along if you're doing something worth doing. And so we're kind of similar in, in our position, which is, you know, typically, we're not going to introduce something that's brand new. However, 
we ourselves being a startup know that it takes time to build traction, get, you know, the, the scale that you're looking for. And so I think that's where it's really important to have a really good partnership that your vision and your strategies align, right? So if you're, if you're thinking about how you're solving the problem the same way, right? So if a point solution is, is approaching us, they are focused on that very specific problem. We aren't. We're, we're focused on the overall. And so we're looking for them to say, this is how we're going to do it. And if they have some traction, that's validation, right? It's, it's a balance for sure. But I think the vision and strategy and alignment is really key in that. And, in, and behind that is really the team that you have that's helping push that, right? So it's a commitment, but it's one worth, if it's one worth doing, you find that harmony in that process and, and you move forward, right? And so it's, then it's really an opportunity to look at that program and say, is this meaningful? Is this working? And in most cases, we see those, those point solutions evolve as well, right? So they get better over time as we get better. And so it's just really a good, a good enriched process. And in the early stages, you have more ability to be flexible, which can be an advantage, right? So the, the more mature solutions, it's harder for them to consider feature enhancements, um, products or changes where, you know, somebody who's maybe series A has a product that's working and they're still building on that roadmap. They have more flexibility to look at it and perhaps consider some of the feature requests that you have a need for in your specific business. Yeah, no, and that's, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Like, you, it, I like when you brought, brought up the point, like sometimes the startup is much, I mean, that's the whole point of a startup, right? It can pivot quickly and move versus if you're already set there, you're going to be much more slower to move. That's an interesting point. So why, you know, now maybe we can jump into the digital health space in general, right? Like there's everyone, I'm not everyone. I think people find out when they jump into the space, if they're not from it, that there's three main players, right? You have the payers, you know, like, like Flume and such, then you have the doctors and then you have the patients. Why is there, do you think that there's one area that some should, because I think what we see a lot is you have point solutions that target pay, uh, target the, um, the patient and then you have some solutions that target the clinicians rarely do they target both of them and even rarely do they ever target the payer right and the biggest question is who's going to pay for it usually it's the payer right do you think that startups going into when they're making it should they have the payer in mind as top of mind or is it should be something that's part of their roadmap i always think that you should have the payer in mind right i i i think to your point though that the needs are very different, right? So when you look at when you look at providers, when you look at the the health system, and what they need is very different than what the payer is looking for, right? So administratively versus clinically, right? Those two don't necessarily always align because the focus is slightly different, right? So I think it's good to have both on your roadmap, right? Who's the main conduit in both of those, it's the member, right? The reason that you're looking at solving or, or working together might be slightly different, but the end user is the one who's actually getting the benefit from whatever you've developed or the solution you have. And the payer is taking and benefiting from it. And the provider in the health system also is. Connecting all three of those to work together is the most difficult component of that, right? Because of that highlighted different needs um, portion of it. And so I think that's where, you know, we're really on this journey of transformative healthcare. And to my point earlier where I said, you know, it's sort of like a one size fits all. I believe we're seven to 10 years away from a day where, you know, Zane, your 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 option for healthcare can be very specific and curated curated for you, and it's going to look different, very different for me from mine, and even that of somebody else that I know, and even within a even within um, 
you know, a family of five, a child's health care looks very different than their, their, you know, adult. And so the ability to have that flexibility is, I think, what's going to make these point solutions so valuable in that process where I need a little bit more support with mental health and maybe diabetes and somebody else needs it in MSK. And how do you make those front and center? And it's going to evolve and change over time. Your healthcare doesn't stay the same, even within 12 months. However, your health plan does. And so that's what energizes me when I see us talking about these different swim lanes, but the focus is always pointing back to the person that's actually needing the healthcare. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I love that idea of, you know, because thankfully I don't have diabetes, but I have coverage for diabetes, right? Like I'm paying for that coverage. I don't have that. I don't need that coverage. So, you know, with chronic diseases, I think that that would be really helpful because you can get focused care then, then, right? You're not getting generalized care. And that's going to the point of, we want to treat you as a person, not you as a, just a number. And I, I, I love that idea. I, I hope that we we get there sooner rather than later, but even seven to 10 years, that's, that's still pretty aggressive. And um, I like that a lot, but I'd like to maybe talk about, you know, these point care solutions. There are a lot of them out there. And what do you think about the idea? And I kind of fall in this camp is I'm afraid of fragmentation. We already have fragmentation in the system. And I'm afraid that if we have too many options out there that we are, that are not necessarily connected to each other, there's one thing if they are connected, but if they're not connected to each other, it does bring some sort of like fatigue from the, from the clinician side and also the patient side. Cause you'll get the question like, why do I have to log into this, this, and this? Like, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm absolutely right there with you. Right. And so there's, there's a couple of things that I think, uh, frustratingly for me have not progressed as far as I'd like to see them. I, I think that there's an opportunity to continue to build out and actually use APIs that people are developing. Right. So I think old habit kind of drives towards, you know, in, in the, in the payer side of the world, oftentimes claims are passed on an 837 medical file or eligibility is on a 834. And they're, they're very standard things, right? But there are so many groups using APIs, which you get the data real time. So I think, I think data is one of the keys and making it accessible and available. And if you own that data, you as a consumer member end user also have, have that. Um, I, I think the other side of that, to your point about fragmentation, is I think over time we'll see consolidation of solutions, right? We have, so we, we talked about comorbidities, right? And there's an, an app for this, there's an app for that, right? You know, you, you, if you think about the app store, you can find an app for almost anything, but there are some systems that work that actually have a lot of those things built in when you think of an Apple or a Google, right? As an ecosystem. I think that's what's missing is an ecosystem. Not necessarily that these point solutions are doing a bad job, but they're not as connected. And I think you, you, you're going to see that in the next few years where, where some of these, even these very successful point solutions that have, that have built them out are, are going the way of saying, I can't just go as a digital solution. I have to actually still have another component to that. So it might be home care, right? So you might actually have feet on the ground that are part of that digital solution. It could be that you're building more AI into that process to drive on things that are very standard. And so your care team can then focus on those going after and focusing on those folks who need a little bit more help. I just think that the ecosystem isn't there yet. And until we get to that place, we'll struggle with people having to try to figure out there's an app for that right and that's that's the fatigue that happens from everybody where we're all saying the same thing which is i need access to data and i need an ecosystem which enables us to do all the things that we need to do man you just um 
touched on a lot of things that I am very passionate about. One is looking at healthcare as an ecosystem. I think that even people in healthcare don't look at it as an ecosystem. There's a lot of passing the buck along and that's no, that's not a slight to anyone. It's just the way the system works. And we have to recognize that. And the only way we can change it is by recognizing that. The other thing is empowering patients with their own data. I, I mean, my own startup was based around patients owning their own data because I think that once you have ownership of your data, you can take control of your health. And to me, we need a paradigm shift in healthcare to have patients control their healthcare. It, I think gone are the days of, you know, the doctor, I mean, the doctor, I mean, as a clinician, yeah, we are saying things to you because we have evidence behind it, hopefully, and we're trying to guide you in the right direction. But I think patients need to be empowered to take care of their own, because right now what I see is they come to us wanting an answer and also the solution. And the solution is you have to do something, but that's not always the thing, right? But I think if more patients owned everything and they were able to have ownership of something, it's like renting a house versus buying a house, right? When you're renting a house, generally speaking, you don't take as good care of it versus if it's in your own house, you're going to, you're, you're responsible for fixing everything. You're responsible for this. You can't just, well, you can, but you, I mean, you may not be the best analogy, but I think that we need that in healthcare. We need that data driven from the patient side to, and also it opens up a lot of things. I mean, I can talk about this for days and days and days, but my utopic society would be kind of going back to the ecosystem and the platform is there's a platform that exists and then everything just kind of jumps into that. So you log into one thing and then that one thing kind of like with our phones, right? We have an Android, Apple, whatever, and then you can just download the apps you need. And I, that's where I hope healthcare goes to on the EMR side, on the patient side, even, I mean, it sounds like it's kind of already happening on the insurance side with Flume, but um, that's kind of what I experienced. And so, yeah, I love the, I love that you used ecosystem because I think that is how we need to look at healthcare. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, whether you, whether you focus on single sign on, I, I think all of those are, you know, add add ons, but, you know, to your point, I think it's, it's about the ecosystem. You know, there are a lot of folks that spend every day protecting data, right? Um, making sure that, you know, you've got the HIPAA compliance, that you've got, you know, all the security and privacy things in place. And those are all very meaningful to protect data, but we also have to make it available to people, right? And I always laugh every time I, I, I still see that we're using facts, right? Why are we still using facts, right? Like that's just a, an example of that where in today's world where a large you know percentage of the population have smart devices let's take advantage of them we have to continue to stay you know diligent about how we protect data but to your point about it being accessible it's that old saying of you can't manage what you don't measure and i think that's just so important in, in healthcare you know i think when it comes to you know weight management you know small things like you know, you, you, you weighing yourself, you know, where you stand, you know, where you need to get to, um, or maintain or whatever it might be, but it's data, right? Like, like that's a really key component and it's not for a lack of data. You know, if you look around the, the healthcare ecosystem, there's data everywhere, right? But are we using it in the way that's most meaningful? I think there's still a lot of opportunity to make that better. No, we're definitely not using it. I, I read somewhere, I can't remember the exact percentage, but there's a staggeringly high amount of data that's not used in the healthcare system. I want to say it was in the above 50% easily. It was well above that, but I'm just going to say 50% right now. Um, and a lot of it is because there's a lot of proprietary data being used. So there's no way to get to it outside of using that specific software or device. And I think we do need to just honestly do, I think to solve a lot of the issues and I might be oversimplifying it, but sometimes it's sometimes oversimplifying is what we need to do is we need to solve the data problem and we need to solve it before we can really solve everything else. Because once we solve the data problem, then we can have RPM solutions and hospital at home and it opens up everything, telehealth, uh, you name it, it opens it up. Right. Um, and then, I mean, there's a lot of ways we can go about it, but to me, that's, that's like the, I don't know, golden goose egg, whatever the hell you want to call it. But I think that's the thing. Like if someone needs to solve that data problem and it, I mean, there's legislature being passed to kind of open up data, but it's like, to me, it's kind of like a wink, wink, like, yeah, we'll sign this document, but 
really what does it really mean i don't know maybe i'm just really jaded right now but to me data it all comes back to data and how free-flowing that data is and i think there's a lot to say yes we need to keep it private and secure but if you just google how many hospital systems have been hacked in the last year alone our data is not safe with them either so what are we really protecting you know what i mean like it's it's going to get hacked and i don't think we i i hate living with i hate living on the premise of what if this happens well yes a lot of things can happen i can literally fall off my chair and die but am i going to stop sitting on chairs no i mean i i hate i hate that mindset and healthcare it's healthcare is filled with that filled with that and i mean a lot of it has to do with our risk averseness but we need to get over that and we need to really move into the 20th century and that's and like you know we need to we need to open up the data channels and I mean, there's different ways to monetize it where you can open it up and still benefit both sides. But yeah, we, to me, that's like the biggest problem in healthcare right now. You kind of mentioned, you kind of touched on DPC, right? Direct primary care. Where do you see direct primary care going? Um, like where, I mean, there's a lot of stuff being talked about direct primary care. A, could you, could you tell us what direct primary care is? And then B, you know, what do you see as the future? Like, what do you see the future of direct primary care? Yeah, no, good question. Yeah, so the way that I see direct primary care right now, a lot of employer groups are looking for additional partners in providing that direct, you know, basic care, right? So I need vaccines for my my child, or I need just, I just need them to be seen. I don't don't necessarily want to run them to urgent care. I, I would write, like to have a better relationship with my primary doctor. And so I, I think that what what I've seen in the space is that there's been this re-energization around having a better connection to your your primary care. And, and, and direct primary care is, I think, a really great way to build that relationship that many of us are looking for, right? So in, in a lot of systems, you know, you have an annual checkup or harvest and you're, you're going in and, and that's about it. You, you go in and you say hi and you, you get the thumbs up and you carry on your way, right? And even then you've called and it's a couple months out and, and it just doesn't have that same feel. And it's it's not, I don't blame the providers, right? Like they have only a certain amount of time to do all of the work that they need to do which includes capturing all the notes, submitting, you know, the information so a claim can be submitted. Like there's a whole bunch of administrative stuff that they're being asked to support, right? And so where what I've seen what I've seen is with DPC, direct primary care as a bolt-on, they're really saying I kind of want to get rid of all that other administrative stuff and I really want to do the thing that I'm really good at, which is providing care. And so what we've seen is more employer groups saying, I would like to direct my employees to a dedicated direct primary care institution where they can actually have pretty quick turnaround, 24, 48 hours, whatever it might be, that they know they're going to be seen, right? They're not waiting for days, weeks to, to be seen. And, and, and there are times where urgent care is necessary, or even the you know emergency room, et cetera. So they they know what those boundaries are. They're the clinical experts, right? So they can direct you if needed. But for general, you know, the general population's needs, they're that that entity. And they also have because they're that that sole kind of conduit with the employees. They actually can be the ones who are helping drive the right steerage. So doing the right referrals they're interested in partnering with the right other specialty organizations that they align with as far as the way that they're providing uh, service and quality of care and so they're they're really a meaningful um, component of that and we're seeing a lot of that in the marketplace where they're saying look we do this really well how do we make this available to more and more people and I and I think the market's responding, but responding by saying yes. And in some cases, we've actually seen um, DPCs where they're actually building up their own health plans. They can be the first line of defense, so to speak, and then as needed, they can direct out to other services and have access to a much larger larger network. But I think it's going to be a very meaningful thing, and 
and I think over the you know the next year, couple of years, we're going to see more and more interest in that. I know that there's other startups that are barely along and thinking about how they're actually building this out. And there's a couple of other areas that they're helping with, which is how do you actually pay for this, right? So employer groups are interested in being willing to pay for it, but we've also got to make it an easy an easy mechanism for them to pay for services without doing like a traditional claim. So it's an interesting space. I think there's going to be a lot of value that DPCs bring to the marketplace that are going to re-energize the way we think about our relationship with our, our doctors. Yeah, I mean, the fact that you said that DPCs are creating their own health plans, that's that blows my mind, honestly, because when you think of DPC, you just think of like the one doctor that kind of is fed up with the system and kind of goes on their own. But to to know that there's that much interest and that much um, manpower behind it, that's pretty that's pretty impressive. The thing that the thing that about DPC that really fascinates me is that it's basically going to going, and I don't I don't want to sound like this is a bad way of saying it, like backwards to what healthcare used to be, where you had that primary connection and it was quick to see the doctor and you really knew them and the doctor was just taking care of the patient and nothing else. And, and I think like a lot of these physicians are wanting to go back to that time. And again, I'm not saying that in like a backwards way, like, Oh, we're going back to the stone age, but back in the sense that it's what provides them the most satisfaction. And you see, I'm seeing a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot. I mean, I'm, at least, I mean, I, I guess I might be a little skewed, but I am seeing a lot of physicians exploring DPC and seeing that it is a viable option and they don't need to be connected to because, and then they take their patients with them, their patients end up being happier. The only thing that um, I kind of have a little reservation with DPC and maybe, you know, maybe you can bring a better light to it is there is some people that say DPC is widening the gap if it takes over like you know, obviously in some cases there's a subscription model or whatever it is but what are your what are your what do you say to those what do you say to that claim that dpc might be widening the gap versus increasing access to care yeah i would i would challenge that what we're doing currently is probably not working it might be working in some senses but there's probably many, many ways that we could identify that it, it isn't working as it exists today. And I think as part of a free market, we should say, if this is the best thesis and it, and it wins, let, let's, let's, let's let it play out, right? So I, I've heard that very similar type of conversation. What I've seen in practice is that, you know, with the right incentivization and the right structure to it, members are using it. They're interested in using it. You know, the the consumer is saying, this is something that I'm I'm interested. If you can go so back to our early, early conversation about even like copays, right? If I can go to a direct primary care where a good portion of services are zero dollar copay, or I can go to this other option where I'm right I'm I'm having to pull money out of my pocket and I know that this other service is going to be a good one that's going to get me in right away you're going to get utilization, right? So I would challenge that notion that it's, it's, it's dividing or spreading, spreading that. I think over time we'll see. I'd like to see more data around that as far as the outcomes, right? And, and, and how, it, how they're performing. But I generally am optimistic about the ability for DPCs to build on, on their knowledge and, and what they're doing. And I think if you're forward looking I believe that DPCs are going to also then move towards at-home care in some capacity. I, I think we're a ways off, but I think there's there's more of that. Again, I think the pandemic drove a little bit of us to rethink it, the way that healthcare is being delivered. And when you're in a pandemic, you're thinking about all of the ways, you know, physical therapy was a really difficult one, right? Um, it slowed way down. People were, elective surgeries, were, there was less of those happening right? Because of all the considerations around having an elective surgery. And the more closely we can be aligned with what the needs are of those in our communities, I think is good. I still think the jury's out, so to speak, on where that lands, but I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic about it moving closer to where we want to be. Um, yeah, I'm like you. I think that I'm in the same 
boat as you. I, I am encouraged by DPC. I think that if you have a happier clinician, you'll have a better product and you'll have more healthier people because they're happy. And whether you like it or not, clinicians are human beings and we're going to work better when we're happier. And if it's making them happier and they're able to provide care faster and more efficiently, I say, why not? Like we should, we should definitely be going down that road. But, um, yeah, man, that's, that's great. So what is the best way for people to reach out to you if they have any questions about anything? Like what is the, yeah, I'd say I'm a, a fairly frequenter of, um, of LinkedIn. So yeah, you can, you can just search, uh, John McCluskey on, on LinkedIn and, and happy to, you know, connect. And if I might not have the answer, you know, hopefully somebody in my network, I can, I can connect. I, I, you know, I, I tend to, network quite a bit because I just, I think there's so many, I've met so many wonderful people in the healthcare space specifically that have really interesting perspectives and are just willing to help. Right. And and I, I think, you know, to our point about talking about, you know, there's the payers, the providers, and there's the consumer, everybody is focused on the same thing, which is making healthcare better. And I am actually always energized by that while we might have different lanes that we're operating in. There truly is genuinely, I think, the perspective of saying this could be better. We see it from our side. And so I just love being able to connect folks and, and have those conversations. They're informative. They help me be more knowledgeable about the way I'm thinking about strategy of healthcare. And, and it's really meaningful in the, at the end when you can save people dollars in their actual pocket and they're getting good healthcare. I, I think we can all agree that there's, there's different aspects of that that we can all play a part in. 100% and I definitely resonate with that the more people you talk to the more people you talk to trying to solve a problem the more energized you feel like that's one of the, the most amazing things that I've witnessed in my personal life is I was so caught up in all the problems and getting depressed especially during the pandemic is when, when I started reaching out to people like yourself and others really being becoming part of a community that's doers and not just complainers um <laughs> It's it's awesome. It's amazing to see how many people are really out there trying to solve the problem. And, you know, we're all trying to solve the same thing. And we just need to come together, find the right people. And I do think I am much more optimistic now than I was maybe three, four years ago, uh, just based on the conversations I've had with pe with people like yourself and others. Because, I mean, there's so many brilliant people out there. And it's just a matter of time until we fix it. But I want to thank you. Couldn't so, agree more. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for your time. It was really, really informational. Um, you definitely pull the curtain on something that <laughs> even people in healthcare don't really know that well. So I really appreciate your time, John. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it, Zane. Thanks for having me.